This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. My gosh, I've got this amazing idea. I need to I need to write it down. It's this acronym and it's peace. And I said to him, this is my idea. This is what it is. And I said, the P stands for protect yourself and be powerful. The E stands for escape the situation. The A stands for armour yourself up and build a force field. And the C stands for create strong friendships. And the E is express your emotions. And he's just like, get out of town. The world is full of amazing people. And once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Human. Today's Awesome Human is an inspirational speaker. She's the winner of the 2018 FSG International Women's Day Social Justice and Equality Ambassador Award. She's a qualified HPC personal trainer. She's a student at the Human Performance Centre. She was a sales manager. She was a professor of pattern making. She did her apprenticeship in pattern making. She's now the CEO and co-founder, a program designer for anti-bullying dream guards. She's Donnelly Perfect. Good evening. Good morning. I'm so late. I'm so sorry. Hey, it's all good, mate. We're now it's late great. for our podcast, <laughs> but I am so grateful that you're here. I'm here. I'm here, and, and it's great to be here. Thanks for hanging around waiting for me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so what I love to do on this podcast is get to know you as a person, okay? So we want to start right all the way back and find out what your first ever memory was. Wow, my first How ever memory. How far back can you go? Whew. You know, that's an interesting question, one that hasn't been put to me before, but I think uh, I do recall, actually, my first memory was coming home, coming home when I was a toddler and I'm a twin. I have got a twin brother and I remember my mum was chatting with the neighbour next door while my brother and I went inside and we decided to, to put the element of the stove on and we then took a pot off the stove and put it on the Formica bench top and burnt oh. the Formica bench top. And how old do we think we were then? I think I would have been about three. That's, that's, so, yeah, we almost memory. set fire to the kitchen. So that was a pretty exciting memory. <laughs> and how was mum? Was mum pleased? Uh, oh, I don't think so. I'm not sure about that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so where were you born? Where'd I was born in Auckland, in Auckland, New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. So I'm a Kiwi. Uh, so the youngest of five siblings, and mm-hmm. I have a twin brother. Are you younger than the twin? Yes, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Mm. I bet you let you know that your whole life. Oh, all my life. <laughs> all my life. Although I could, you know, I was, pre- I was pretty tough. I, I bashed him up a few times with his Tonka trucks. And Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you were born in, in Auckland, and then where did you go to school and those sort of things? Well, my uh, my life took a dramatic change when I was seven, Brett. When you were seven, okay. Uh, And I remember this day very vividly. It was early one morning. I I woke to the piercing screams of my mum and I jumped out of bed and I watched my father chasing my mum down the hallway with a knife. Wow. And I witnessed my mum being stabbed to death by my father. Shit. And from that moment, my life changed. Of yeah, forever. At the age of seven. At the age of seven. Did you get harmed? Did you get harmed at the time? 
I didn't get harmed, thank goodness. It could have easily gone that way for all of us, but no. And uh, so my brothers and and, uh, my sister and I, we were obviously traumatised from that moment. And yeah. Yeah. So my my father was obviously uh, mentally unstable and, and, you know, uh, that's, you know, and so we uh, we were then very quickly collected up and taken to a cousin's house down the road, while my father was escorted in a police car off to off to jail. My cousin's house was only a few meters down the road, and I remember sitting in the lounge and hearing on the radio that there had been a murder. In, in a house in Avondale and it was the most surreal kind of feeling because sitting there and hearing this announcement on the radio it was yeah just surreal to hear that and know that that was my mum and I think that's when it really kind of sunk in for me so very quickly after that there were there was a social worker that came to my cousin's house and pretty much we were shuffled off separated all of us i was kept with my twin brother and we were put into foster homes okay and your father went to jail my father went to jail and i didn't see my father for a number of years and we were just moved from foster home to foster home. So in total, I went to 13 foster homes and 13 schools. Wow. And that was incredibly traumatic. Those was almost six years that we were in foster care. Did you get to, at that time, did you get to deal with the fact that you'd lost your mum? There was no emotional support whatsoever. So we had no counselling the only really happy experience I had, which was the first foster home I was at, was a mother, a single mum. She was Catholic and she had two daughters. And she was very caring and compassionate. And and I don't know if you've ever, have you ever lost yourself in a book? And it's taken you on a journey, like, you know, the story's taken you on a journey and you've been able to escape your normal reality. Well, I remember she'd read stories to me at night and that was kind of how I felt. It was a moment where I could escape into the story and forget about the trauma in my life. And it's funny because now today it's inspired me to write my own children's series. But that was the only happy memory in foster care was that one home. And and we were only there a number of months, four or five months, and then we were moved again. And I'm not sure why why we were moved, but we went to a, another home, my, my twin brother and I, which was very traumatic. The, the, the foster father there was an alcoholic and abusive. I remember one night my twin brother and I were in our bedroom together and he locked the doors. He locked our door. And I recall hearing my sister come to visit in the evening and I heard her in the background saying that she was here to see us and and he he said to her that we don't need to see her, we don't love her anymore. 
And I recall hearing her crying and I was trying to get out of the bedroom. And How old was she? She would have been 15, mm-hmm. 16. And I was beside myself, you know, trying to, trying to see my sister. There was another time where he asked me to to run a bath for one of the other foster kids in the home. And I had no idea how to run a bath. So I said, I turned on the hot water and the girl got in and scolded herself. And so he took his belt off his pants and, and threw me on the bed, pulled my pants down and just started belting into me with his, with his leather belt. And that was a kind of, that was a kind of, you know, abuse that, we copped in that home. How long were you in that home for? I think we were in that home maybe for about four or five months again. I I, I have really, I, it's hard for me to really get a, a handle on the time. Is that because you've blocked it or is that because it's sort of one of those things you I just had to get through? I think probably a combination, the fact I was so young yeah. and also post-traumatic stress, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff I think would, would have uh, been part of that. So, yeah, just really hard to, to get a concept of time. And the last foster home we were in was a huge homestead in South Auckland. There were like eight, eight or ten rooms, and there were lots of foster kids in this, in this place, and, and it was acreage. It was on a huge acreage property. And the mother, the foster mum, was like a matron, she was very cold and and she had three children of her own and she made it really clear when I arrived that she didn't like me or didn't, you know, feel that I was worthy of any any compassion or kindness or love. And I remember her saying to me, you know, nobody wants you, nobody cares about you, you're just a piece of shit. And nice introduction I, to a kid. Mm. And I recall a parcel being so this the parcel this parcel arrived at this homestead, and I recall asking the step uh, the foster mum there, "What's in the parcel?" I was twelve years old and very, you know, curious about this parcel, and I remember her turning to me and saying, "How dare you ask what's in the parcel?" You nosy little bitch. You have no right to ask what's in that parcel. You're going to write on these sheets of paper that she put out on the table 1,000 times, I am a nosy little bitch. At 12? At 12. Wow. Then she put these notes all over the lunchroom where we ate our breakfast, lunch, and dinner as a foster family. There were probably about... 12 of us in this home and she stuck them all over the walls and they stayed on the on the walls I, I think for maybe about two or three months and the kids used to make fun of me and with these notes on the wall that was just one crazy kind of psychological abuse that I copped at that home there was another time this she brought this baby to me this baby was about six months old and she, she was beautiful. Her name was Marama. And she said to me, this is your baby. Now, I was only 11 and I had no idea how babies were made. I just believed her. And she said, I've got to look after this baby. 
which meant I had to wake up and feed this baby. I had to bath this baby. I had to, you know, just as a mum, I was a mum of this baby. And this went on for, uh, I think, about four months. And I was so close to marama. Like, I just, uh, you know, it gave me this kind of sense of belonging that I never had in my life. And and I I just was so happy to be spending time with this baby. And and then all of a sudden I came home from school one day and she was gone. And I said to the foster mum, Where, where's marama? And she just turned to me and said, she's gone. She's gone back to her family and you'll never see her again. How old was Marama? She would have been, she was six months when she came to me. Wow. So, you know, ten months maybe. I was just devastated. Have you ever seen Marama since? No. No. And I've tried to make some investigations, but no. And that would just be amazing to to meet her one day. So I, I I think one of my stories... My children's stories will will be about, about Marama. Yeah. So did you ever get to go to your mum's funeral? Did they have a funeral for your mother? Did you go to that with your siblings or were you already separated? My mum did have a funeral and I don't recall ever going to that funeral and I, I don't have any memory of it whatsoever. You have memories of your mum? Yeah, yeah, I do. Just, you know, little memories of she was a nurse. Mm-hmm very caring person and she had a real quirky kind of sense of humor i remember asking her but as she was getting ready for for work doing her night shift i remember asking her you know quite often what's your what's your name what's your real name and she'd say her name was allison and she'd say my name's ellie and i'd say ellie and she'd go yeah alligator <laughs> and you know so quirky little things like that i remember i remember being in the car with her late at night and i think this was quite close after before she passed away and she said to me i don't think i am going to live long wow whether she had kind of some sort of an idea of what was happening there were threats to her life prior to this this event so whether she kind of had some instinct that something was about to happen, and that that's a very surreal moment for me too, kind of being in that car late at night and she was driving to her uncle, her brother's place, my uncle's, and, yeah, it's kind of a surreal moment that is still in my memory. And what about your dad, your father? Did you ever so, see him again? Yes, when I was 12, the social worker came to the last foster home I was at and gave me a very, very difficult uh, couple of choices I had to make, whether to stay in foster care until I was 18, which of course meant accepting the abuse that had been dished out to me for the last five years, or whether to return to my father, who'd been released from prison. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the most difficult part of that decision was that the choice was to re- return to the home where he'd murdered my mum. Mm. And looking back now, I I can't even believe that the social workers and the authorities would have allowed that kind yeah, of abuse. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I decided to return to my dad because 
I would be reunited with my siblings again, which was, of course, you know, the ultimate. You know, I wanted to be back with my bro- my older brothers and sister, and so that was the gift. And had you seen them for that during that period you were in foster care? Did you see them at all? The on other? and off, okay. on and off. So the the last foster home we were in, my older brothers joined us for a little while, but they were they were suffering with a lot of post-traumatic stress and and misbehaving as teenagers and getting into all sorts of strife. So they were on and off going from there to kind of uh, boys' schools and stuff like that to help them with their behavioural problems. So we we were disjointed. It was, you know, we had a really disconnected kind of five or six years. So this was, you know, for me it was just, so exciting to be reunited. Yeah. And how was it when you first saw your dad again? Scary. Mm. Really mm. scary. And were you scared for your life the whole time you were there? Yes. Mm. Yes. So understandable. Yeah. The, it was it was really torturous being in that home. I remember having nightmares regularly. And they were quite delirious nightmares. Like I was waking with sweats and and I remember having this ongoing nightmare of the wallpaper in my bedroom suffocating me. And it was the most bizarre kind of nightmare. It was just embossed wallpaper and it had no kind of really, you know, amazing pattern on it or anything. But I just remember having this nightmare that it was just coming in on me and closing in on me and suffocating me. And I think that was definitely some sort of post-traumatic stress, uh, you know, I was I was going through then. But my father was unpredictable. He was an alcoholic. He had mental health problems. He was schizophrenic. And he slept every night with a knife next to his bed. And he constantly threatened us with violence. So we we had we had an, a, a survival plan to be honest, while we were living with him. And we all kind of had our muster stations Mm -hmm. in case of an emergency. So I remember I had to run next door to the the neighbours who uh, the father was an ambulance officer and he was actually there on the morning that my mother was murdered. And so he was my point of kind of emergency if anything happened and and my brothers had their their, uh, their own kind of emergency plans. Mm. Wow. And so how long did you stay there for? We were there for five years and Mm -hmm. my father drunk himself to death when I was 17. And then did you stay on after that? No, the the house was sold and put into public trust and we were all on our own kind of out there, you know, living life and surviving. During that whole time, you went to school? You went to obviously multiple schools? Yes, we were back in school and, and that was torturous because... I went back to the school that I started at when I was, you know, from the age of five to seven. So I had kind of connections from the neighbor neighborhood. And then, of course, coming back, there were a lot of rumors and, yeah. you know, I was bullied. So I, I would go into school and, and there were rumors being spread constantly about living in a haunted house about, you know, uh, that there were ghosts in the house and there were, there was a murder there and, and I, you know, I was just, it was, it was emotional and physical bullying. I was, I was bashed quite a few times and followed home and, and, you know, just taunted, to be honest. 
my teenagers and and it was it was a tough time for me, both in school and at home. Well, it would be. It's a very tough childhood. Mm. So at the age of 17, what did you decide? Well, I was out on my own having to survive. So I dropped out of school and for me, school was – it was – so disconnected anyway. I mean, I went to 13 schools and I, I, I really failed. I mean, I, I couldn't really follow any of the curriculum and also being traumatised and going through continual kind of trauma, it was really hard for me to focus on school. So I dropped out of school and I got a couple of, you know, jobs that were just uh, enabling me to survive until mm. I just – you know, there was a, a moment where I realised I had to take control of my life and and I was taking drugs regularly, mostly marijuana on a daily basis. I was drinking just to numb the pain that I was going through and it was it was a moment of just really dark, dark times where I realised, well, I've, I, I'm either going to go down a really dark path here and, and things are going to not go too well for me if I continue to to, you know, take drugs and, and, or I can turn my life around. And I, we're talking 17, 18 at this yeah, stage. Yeah. Yeah. Big decision for yeah, a Yeah, it was woman. a big decision. And yeah. I, I reached out to Lifeline actually, and, and spoke to a counselor on the phones and, and I think it was incredibly overwhelming actually for that counselor at the time to hear my story and, and believe what I was going through and, and, they recognised that I really needed more support than just, a, a, you know, an hour on the yeah. phone. So it was a turning point for me really in my life and I decided to go back to school and went to evening classes and I got my my school certificate and mm-hmm. that enabled me to apply for an adult apprenticeship in clothing design. And it was kind of a, it was a passion of mine. My aunties had the rag trade in the blood. And so I think this kind of came to me just, you know, through our genes and (laughs) saw that (laughs) genes. (laughs) (laughs) I still got it. (laughs) You still got it. And so I ended up working for the largest ship manufacturer in New Zealand and did an apprenticeship in clothing design. And it was amazing because I sat my trade certificate and I was so determined to work really hard to, to get, good results in this and I just studied and studied my butt off and four years later I ended up gaining the top trade certificate marks in New Zealand and I got I won the apprentice of the year golden shares award it was just you hey the big turnaround yeah that's phenomenal it was like I just couldn't believe that I had this ability and it was a turning point in my life and I ended up I ended up kind of really investing in my own well-being as well. And I decided that I wanted to go and work through my childhood trauma and and invest in some counselling and some therapy. And I did some hypnotherapy and I did. um, Did that work? It worked really, really well. How was that first session? Do you remember that? Scary. I was having a conversation (laughs) with my mum. Really? Yeah. Mm. And I was forgiving her for all the kind of decisions she'd made in her life that kind of took her to where, where you know, she ultimately... Did you blame her? Pardon? Did you blame your mum? No, like I blame myself. Sort of I, I, You know, as a child, I, I wonder what I'd done wrong. Yeah, I understand. 
I thought it was my fault and, and it was that was another moment in my life where, you know, I kind of thought, what had I done wrong to attract so much sadness in my life, you know? And then coming to that realisation that my childhood trauma happened to me and not because of me, it was really life-changing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. What about your siblings? Did they did they go through trauma counselling at all or how did they They went on their up? own journeys really, you know. We, we kind of, there was a, a time there where we were quite disconnected and got on with our own lives and, and – we all took our own path, really. and Including your twin? Yeah, my twin sort of worked through some stuff uh, as an adult much yep. later on in life. Uh, but And do you see your siblings now? Are they still alive? Or Yeah, yeah. My, my twin brother lives in New Zealand and so does my sister and my other brother. But my older brother moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and he actually passed away three years ago of cancer. So oh, he was sorry. only 55, which was really sad. But I... I actually approached him and talked about all all of this stuff with him and and shared with him how I was wanting to share my story on the stage and yeah. he was he was really really proud of me for doing that oh, you know awesome. so that was that was a big breakthrough in our life and uh I, and i i feel really grateful that i had that opportunity to share that with him and get through that and and for him to hear my perspective on on well, my experience yeah. as a child and and to know that now I'm sharing that with others in the hope that I can inspire others to overcome adversity and overcome challenges in their life. There's a lot of adversity out there. There's a lot of people going through stuff. Absolutely. And um, people that don't deal with stuff um, that's right. gets to them. That's, that's that simple. That's exactly right. So you've done your apprenticeship. You've won Apprentice of the Year. And what's your first job? What's, what's, what happens then? Well, so I got offered a position as a sales rep for a textile company in Auckland. And I had a company car. And so coming out of a factory into driving on the road and dressing up in suits and <laughs> going to see fashion designers was like, wow, it was amazing and I I just couldn't believe this kind of transition and I was loving it and this was really exciting times for me and I how old are you around this stage I was about 21 22 okay. 22 years old and You're just starting life really, yeah, yeah yeah and I went and set my diploma in sales marketing and sales management and I became their top sales rep and very soon I became the sales manager for their company. And then the managing director offered me a opportunity to go to Australia and set up their operation in Australia and manage it. And that was just the most amazing opportunity. So I decided to take that on and, and it was at a time in the clothing trade when the clothing trade was moving offshore to China and so a lot of people were naysayers and saying to me, especially in New Zealand, going, oh, you're kidding, man. You're, you're going to Australia as a Kiwi. You're going to a com- a, a, an industry that is reducing. The industry is moving offshore, manufacturing in China, and you're going to go to one of the oldest trades in Sydney that is incredibly loyal, and you're going to go and set up a textile company in Sydney <laughs> and you're going to make a go of it. And I said, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, people would, just couldn't believe that this was, you know, this 
this was what I'm I'm going to try out and and so I did and I took that business from zero to one million dollars turnover in five years. Well done. And it was it was amazing and I I just I loved it. I was selling fabrics to Carla Zampardi, to Colette Dinnegan, Akira Aizagawa, uh, uh, Morrissey and Edmiston, all of these top designers. And it was a really exciting time, really, really exciting. It's amazing. So you've gone from all the trauma, you've then said, no, nah, I'm going to look after myself, I'm going to get into this, I'm going to do this for me. Yeah. And then you succeed. It's yeah. amazing, you know, how it works. It, it was just incredible. And on the side, I set up my own little business, Perfect Pattern Aids, and I designed this range of patent design tools that I sold to the TAFEs and universities around Australia and New Zealand. So this was a little side business that I had, and that was that that went really well. So I ended up leaving the textile company and starting this, you know, growing this business on my own while I had my children. So I uh, I had Hamish in Sydney and in Manly, and Hamish is he's an incredible incredible young man. So he was born in 1999 in Sydney and then we moved to... Where were you living in Sydney? We were moving, We were living in Sydney on the northern beaches, my husband and I. Okay. And so when did you get married? Let's go back. We got married in 98. Where and did we meet him? I met him in Sydney. He's a Kiwi guy and I met him on a yacht. So oh, I really? was... Yes, I was never. I was learning navigation. Yep. And uh, he was a crew on a on a huge forty foot yacht, mm-hmm. and I met him on that yacht. Yeah. So were you, because of your past, were you always nervous about meeting a future husband, or that never entered your mind? No, no. I, I. Well, you sort of moved on from all that, and and sort of you took control of yourself, and. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I there were. A, there were, I guess there were some bad kind of choices that I made when I was in my teen years that I recognized that, you know, I really, you know, yeah, there were, there were a couple of guys that I went out with that were probably kind of a little bit narcissistic Mm -hmm. and I recognized those traits in them from my father and that scared me. But yeah, so I guess I kind of recognized that, no, I deserve better and um, so that was, yeah, that was kind of uh, a good insight and uh, in moving forward in my relationship. So, yeah, so I met my husband and we got married and, and had Hamish and then we moved to the Gold Coast in 2002 okay. and my husband was uh, a shipwright and he was working for a huge uh, yacht manufacturer and, and so we moved to the Gold Coast and in 2002 my daughter Jessica was born. Wow. And I was running my perfect pattern aids business, selling these amazing pattern design tools to the Tafes and universities around Australia and New Zealand. And my marriage broke up in 2006. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really, it was, we just grew apart. And uh, we shared the care of our children. So we had a 50 50 care arrangement. And I was running my business. And then in 2012, I met the amazing Michael Bennett, who was my husband now, international comedian, entertainer. Oh, wow. And uh, the. How'd you meet Michael? We met online on RSVP. Oh, did you? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. 
It was amazing. And did so, he have kids as well or? No kids. No kids. 50 years old and no children. Yeah. So it was perfect, perfect yeah. situation. And he always wanted children. So, Instant you know. family. Yeah. And he met me and, and Jessica was Jessica was nine and Hamish was 12, 13. So it was just fantastic. And how that go? Like obviously it's tough. You, you're a single mum with two kids. And then yeah. you, you, you go online, you meet this amazing man and you, you tell him you've got couple of kids yeah. and uh, then he comes home to meet them for the first time. Yes, so this was really interesting actually because Michael is an international comedian and he performs on cruise ships all around okay. the world. And we had a three-day three, three day window to meet and it was on the week that I had my children and I okay. had this no dating policy. Yeah, I just There's no way I'm going to meet anybody on the week that I have my kids. And he contacted me through email and he said, hey, I've got these three days and I'd really love to meet you. And I said to my girlfriend, well, that's not going to happen because it's on my week that I've got the kids. And she said, no, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to look after your kids for one night and you're <laughs> going to meet this guy. He seems really cool. Let's let's make it happen. And I said, okay, all right, let's do it. So You broke your rule. Yeah, I Excellent. broke the rule and I went down to Burley. And the funny thing is we had this – we had this communication on email and he said to me, look out for the guy with a moustache. Now, he didn't have a moustache and I thought that was kind of a bit <laughs> weird. And I thought, oh, this must be something comical about this, you know, like he's you a comedian. You know he was a comedian? You knew, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. And that was one thing that attracted me because I love a sense of humour. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a, growing up, I had a huge crush on Alan Alda from MASH. Yeah. I loved Alan Alda. My dad was the spitting image of Alan Alda. And when Could he, have met your dad. Oh, he passed away oh. many years ago. But the thing is, every time I see MASH or those shows, it just reminds me, it brings back, brings tears to the eyes, actually. Wow. Just from that. Yeah, my mum was a massive Alan Alda fan. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, that's a beautiful story because yeah. MASH was one of my favourite shows. And, <laughs> and so I think in some way... Michael kind of reminded me, and not that he looks like Alan Alda, but just the humour side of yeah. it. And I, I find that really attractive. Yeah. yeah. And so he had this thing about the moustache, and I thought, that's a bit weird. He doesn't have a moustache anyway. I said, let's meet down at the Burley Surf Club outside the front. So I came down there, and I was walking along the esplanade there, and I sensed a guy just running alongside me. And I turned, and this guy had glasses with a moustache attached to the glasses. <laughs> and I did a double take. I went, what, what on earth? Who, who is this guy? And I realized it was him. And he said, hey, Donna, how are you going? I'm Michael. And then very quickly took the glasses off, <laughs> thinking, oh, my God, she's absolutely gorgeous. I can't be having these stupid glasses on. And I remember one of his first things he said to me, he said, you're a pretty little thing. And I'll never forget that line because it actually reminded me of something that Keith Urban would say. And I just love Keith Urban's yeah. music, right? And I could just imagine that being a line in one of his songs, a lyric in one of his songs, and, and I'll never forget that line. But anyway, he we went off to this little tapas bar and we sat there and we just got to know each other. And one, this really took me. He said to me, Tell me a little bit about your children, Donna. And I said, well, Hamish is 
into dirt motorbikes. He just is obsessed with dirt motorbikes, loves dirt motorbikes. And Jessica, she loves horses. That was the only time I mentioned their names was at once. Now, Michael is the ex-stuntman and warm-up crowd guy, Mad Mike, from the Police Academy stunt show at Movie World. 16 years. Wow. So if you've ever been to the police... I know exactly who he is now. (laughs) So he's the guy that chased people with the feather. He was the guy that walked on his hands. He was the guy that juggled and made balloons. And he mimed. So he never spoke a word. But he was the guy that a lot of people came to the Police Academy stunt show to see. Mm. And my cousin was one of those that was obsessed with him. And so when I started dating him, my cousin was just like, oh. (laughs) And I never went to the Police Academy stunt show. You had no idea who he was. (laughs) No. And I think that was a good start, to be honest, because I had no preconceived idea about this guy. Anyway, Michael convinced me we, we... we had a couple of drinks and then he said, look, I'd love to catch up again on Sunday with you. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. I've got my kids. And this was actually just a, you know, I just broke the rules a little bit tonight to meet up with you. He said, no, it's not going to be a date. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be a picnic in the park and everybody's going to come. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, bring all your friends, bring your kids. I'm going to bring my friends. It's going to be a picnic in the park. It's not a date. Oh, that's kind of a cool idea. That could work. So I agreed. He was flying out on Monday. So this mm-hmm. was the only chance that I was going to see him again. He had two and a half months of back-to-back cruising contracts. Wow. Yeah. And he was absolutely convinced that if he didn't see me this Sunday, this is what he told me later, yeah. that this was he, he was going to miss out on dating me. So I said, okay, let's do it. So I met her, I met down at the park, all my friends. I brought my kids down there. And there was this parade of 15 people walking across the reserve. Every single one of them had glasses with moustaches <laughs> attached. A parade of moustaches came towards us. Had you told your kids us. about the moustache? Had you told your kids about the- <laughs> It was the most... Unbelievable, unbelievable nice icebreaker. sight. You <laughs> yeah. know. Michael was carrying this huge balloon. It was goofy on a motorbike. Yeah. Massive, massive balloon. And in the other hand, he had this horse, a balloon horse. He'd created these things. He walked over to our picnic with his friends and he walked over to Hamish and he said, Hamish, I believe you're into motorbikes. This is for you. He turned to my daughter, Jessica, and he said, Jessica, I know you love horses, and I've made this for you. Now, that was it. <laughs> Sealed the deal for me they, because he remembered their names. That's amazing, isn't and it? And he'd, you know, so talk about, uh, you know, NLP to the yeah, max. definitely. The NLP master. <laughs> he had it all planned how he was going to get around me with my kids. And so it just ended up being this amazing picnic and he spent $900 on internet, Skype oh, really? uh, calls to boat. me over the next two and a half months <laughs> to ensure that he would cement this relationship. Isn't and that amazing? There's commitment That's how you. our relationship flourished. That's awesome. Incredible. And, and- Obviously, you've still got a relationship with your ex because you yes. share children. Yeah. And how did you break to him that 
Michael was now going to be the future stepfather of your well, children. Well, he'd already married. So oh, he'd okay. married and moved on. And, in fact, uh, when we signed divorce papers, he told me he was engaged on that day. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I wish him well and, yeah. you know. That's as long as he's happy. That's all that matters, you know. Absolutely, and you know, it it flows onto your children. So that's always the best thing. So this this relationship's been uh, just an incredible journey. How long have we been married now? We got married in two thousand and fifteen. So in two thousand and fourteen, yeah. So it's new. In two thousand and fourteen, Michael and I were on a cruise and. I was planning to see my brother for the last time. I was traveling to Memphis and he was dying of throat cancer and very sick. And during a meditation before Michael's show, this thought came to him that he had to propose to me during this meditation. Wow. And he woke up from this meditation and he was in this panic to propose to me before I left to go to Memphis. He raced around the cruise ship trying to find a ring in the in the jewellery shops. And the phenomenal thing is, I don't know if you remember those loom bands. Yep. Okay, my daughter, Jessica, had made a loom band ring for him <laughs> just before the cruise, like wow. days before, and he'd put it on his hand, finger. And... He looked everywhere for this ring. He couldn't find anything anywhere that, you know, that was in his budget and that was going to be, you know, what he wanted for me. And so he raced back to the to the cabin, getting ready and everything, getting prepared for a show. That day we'd done a Dream Guard show, and I'll tell you about the Dream Guard yeah. show in a minute, and to an audience in the on the cruise ship. We just decided we wanted to do it for the kids. And so a lot of people knew about us. We had 750 people at his show that evening for his comedy show. And during the show, he called me up on the stage and he said, I'd, my, my wife is on board, as you know. We've done the Dream Guard show during the day. And I'd like to call her up on the stage because, you know, um, we did an amazing show and we had some great feedback. And it was actually formal night and I had my beautiful black ball gown on. And as I approached the stage, he said, I wanted to bring you on the stage today, baby, because, well, it's, it's a difficult time for my, for my, um, uh, my, uh, my lady because she's going to be traveling to Memphis to see her brother for the last time. And I just, you know, I thought yeah. it was going to be all about the dream guards. I was all ready to get up there. Yeah. And I started to, to get a bit emotional tears started to well up and I thought, oh no, what are you doing to me? I've got my ball <laughs> gown on and I'm up here yeah, on the stage, 750 <laughs> looking around. Next minute he drops to his knee. Oh, and then you knew exactly what he was going to do. <laughs> oh my gosh. I And proposed to me and the crowd just went berserk. They went absolutely mental and I just jumped up in the air and said, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> and he'd planned it all. He had videographers there. He had champagne coming up on the stage. So he did it all <laughs> planned in advance. But the ring he gave me was the beautiful loom band ring that my daughter had made. Wow. And it was just the most phenomenal moment in my life. <laughs> uh, and it, thankfully we captured it on film because – He'd planned it all ahead, and it's That's not amazing. very often that you have your proposal captured no, on film. Not. So I'm really blessed and grateful for that. 
That's and amazing. It's the most amazing thing. So, what's it like being married to a comedian? Like, is he always goofy and funny, or at no. home he's very serious? And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. one of those things. That's like that's the interesting thing. You see, people say, "Oh, it must be phenomenal. It must be amazing being married to a comedian." And I say, "No, he's a depressing <laughs> shit most of the time." No. <laughs> Very true. I'm. Yeah, but, but they most of them do suffer from depression, and, yep. and Michael has had depression for many years, and and he's he's gone through some amazing journeys just recently, working through that, and and now he speaks about that uh, a lot on his lives, and he does a number of interviews about working through his his depression, and and he's come a long way. It's an incredible thing, but he's he's. He's an amazing guy. You Look know, you he's... glow when you talk about him. It's just so good how much you glow. Oh, You're thank so you. Happy, aren't you. Thank it's you. Great. So he, so him and I, you know, just before we got married, we we developed this amazing concept. I became a personal trainer. I'd gone and qualified as a personal trainer. And my passion was to curb childhood obesity mm-hmm. because we've surpassed America in statistics and childhood obesity. And it's a sad, sad situation we're in. And I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to try and influence kids about eating healthy and exercising on their way to school. And it was about mindset and and so I said to Michael, why don't we do some sort of a show together where I can teach the kids about exercise and, and I can talk about food and eating yep. well. And then you can do your balloons and your magic and, you know, do a bit of funny stuff. And, and it could be a really cool little show. So that's where the Dream Guards started. And the Dream Guards are about guarding the dreams of children and making sure that their dreams, you know, uh, remain true and they may remain ignited and that kids don't lose their passion um, and their desires in life. And I think it's really important that they, you know, they they learn to dream and, and use their imagination because, you know, imagination makes everything possible. And, and it gets blocked so much these days. I've, mm. I've got this philosophy and it's probably going to come out wrong, but it's what I do. Kids aren't born assholes. They're taught to become assholes. Mm. I'm going to write a book about it because mm. the way that they're parented, obviously mm. people go through different things as we've learned today as well, but they get blocked. Like they don't like let their imagination go or they're stuck in front of an iPhone or whatever it is that they don't get to do that stuff. I think it's amazing. Dream guards. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's been this evolving thing. So it started with this crazy idea that I was going to have this agility ladder on the ground and have kids doing a workout. And I yeah. had this cool plan that I had all these cool groovy workouts that I was going to do and we're going to do dancing and everything. Well, the first show we did, we had 80 children. <laughs> and doing the agility the ladder. logistics was a nightmare. <laughs> so I had kids tripping over each other and this is just not going to work. So I developed this funny kind of uh, workout and everything, and we we started this just with you know s- some funny concepts around just doing a little bit of jumping up and down and crazy stuff like that. And and Michael was doing his balloons, and then I went into a meditation. And this is the beauty of meditation; it's just incredible the gifts that can come to you in meditation. And I went into this meditation with an intention to come up with a acronym that was going to incorporate the universal sign for stop, which is your hand up high mm-hmm. in the air. And rising from this meditation, my peace tools were born. 
And it was just the most amazing thing. I, I remember coming to Michael and saying, oh my gosh, I've got this amazing idea. I need, to, I need to write it down. It's this acronym and it's peace. And I said to him, this is my idea. This is what it is. And I said, the P stands for protect yourself and be powerful. The E stands for escape the situation. The A stands for armor yourself up and build a force field. And the C stands for create strong friendships. And the E is express your emotions. And he's just like, get out of get out of town. And I said, I know, I don't know how this has come to me, but it's just amazing. And it's going to help kids stand up to bullying in a positive yeah. way. And he just thought, wow, this is incredible. And then I started to look at my life and my childhood and all the bullying experiences I had. And I thought, I've got to share my story. 100%. I've got to share the story. And so all of a sudden I started sharing my story with Michael. And he just said, wow, this is phenomenal. I didn't even know that this happened to you. I don't know about this life. And you need to share this with the world because you, you've got this gift that's going to enable people to overcome their challenges because of what you've been through. And so this, these peace tools started to be the main focus of our Dream Guard show. And then I started to share my story as another aspect of it. And so this, this show is now about the peace tools and anchoring this message in a fun and interactive way. And we've developed these amazing balloon storyboard around the peace tools. Yeah. And for P, we've got this incredible dragon. And so we have five kids that get up on the stage who have been bullied. So we say to the audience, who's been bullied? And 90% of these kids are putting their hands up, which is a really sad statistic, right? Unbelievable, isn't it? Mm. And it... It's just so sad to see this flood of hands going up. And so we get five kids up on the stage and we we go through these peace tools and with these amazing balloons. And these kids are transformed from it, I have no doubt. So the first one is P, protect yourself. And we say, stand tall with your shoulders back and your head held high and you're less likely to be bullied or abused. It's a fact. And this kid gets a balloon dragon on his head. And I say... This dragon's with you always, mate. Wherever you go, you're going to have this dragon with you and you're going to be powerful and you're going to always be protected. And you see this kid who's probably about anywhere from 12 to 15, his shoulders just go back and his head goes up and this dragon is just, oh, it's it's goosebump stuff, mate. Life and then the E for escape, this kid gets a Spider-Man balloon put on his head. Yeah. And we say Spider-Man can escape any situation. He can get away from any any tough challenge. And then the next kid, the next boy, he's got armor. And we have this sword, this yeah. balloon sword with a shield, a balloon shield. And so he's got this armor around him. And then C, create strong friendships. We've got this girl that has our peace puppy, our dream guard peace puppy. And it's this huge dog that sits on her head and it's doing the high five piece. It's got its <laughs> paw up in the air with a high five piece. And then the E, express your emotions. We've got two, two smiley faces and a love heart and a rose. And these two friends are expressing their love for each other. 
And we talk about Kids Helpline and we talk about this service being available to every kid and every child in the school in the show gets a Kids Helpline bracelet with the Kids Helpline phone number on Mm. it. So we've reached out to Kids Helpline to help us uh, by, you know, promoting their service to, And so then these kids know that they can reach out to the service 24 hours a day, seven days a week and, and express how they're feeling if they're having any problems and to know they are not alone. And it's, you know, these kids are, are hugging us. They're crying after. Parents, principals are crying. So wow. this is the most amazing show. And we say we turn principals into rock stars. <laughs> and we've got these rock star balloons. Yeah. And we get the principals up on the stage with kids and they are rocking it out <laughs> to um, to these rock rock um, songs. Yeah. And it's it's an hour long show, and, and so is it, where is it? How do how do kids see this? How do people in schools, get this in their schools? And we can we do it in uh, you know sports clubs. We can go to RSLs. We can go to you know any community events, community fundraising events. So we have just we have just done a uh, we, we've actually got walk Sammy's Walk for Peace coming up. Now we've got this ambassador program, Dreamguard Ambassador Program, which is a child in every school that becomes a Dream Guard ambassador because he is demonstrating the peace tools in, his, in, in their community. And they are upstanders and they are demonstrating compassion, kindness, and they become a Dream Guard ambassador. And they get a Dream Guard ambassador wristband, mm-hmm. which is uh, a Dream Guards, peace tools, and it says upstander. And they get a certificate and they get a Dream Guard badge, a Dream Guard ambassador badge. And they recognize a student in the school community that is demonstrating those beautiful qualities too. And they then present them with an ambassador, with a Dream Guard upstander certificate. And a Dream Guard upstander wristband. So then you get the sea of kids in the schoolyard. Wanting to be upstanders. That are wanting to be upstanders and they have wristbands. So if you're feeling a little bit isolated, you're feeling a little bit alone in the schoolyard, you're being abused or bullied, you'll reach out to one of these kids with an upstander wristband, a Dream Guard upstander wristband, and know that you've got support. Know that you've got somebody who's got your back and that's going to show you compassion. And then these ambassadors are going to reach out from school to school supporting each other. They 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 present these beautiful uh, speeches at assembly, school assembly, and they talk about compassion. They talk about kindness. They talk about connection and how we're all sisters and brothers and we need to show kindness to each other. And they share their speeches with one another. They share any any particular problems they may have in their schoolyard that they've overcome. So what we're doing now is we're empowering students to find solutions to their Paying own problems forward, I like to call through it. their Dream Guard That's Ambassador amazing. Program. So Sammy Pierce has just started this amazing event, Sammy's Walk for Peace in Bow Desert on the 8th of December. We've got the mayor coming. We've got uh, all sorts of government support and the Dream Guards are performing a community showcase at that event. And it's just a you know, an awareness around bullying and about showing compassion in our community. 
That's amazing. So we've got lots of events coming up. Yeah. We are trying to give back as much as possible in Where the community. Where can people find your event? Well, we've, if you're in Newcastle, I know mm-hmm. we're on the Gold Coast here, but in Newcastle next week, okay. we are traveling to uh, Newcastle for a huge annual event. It's Walk a Mile Koori style, mm-hmm. and it's a domestic violence event, and it's raising awareness about domestic violence in the Torres Strait and Indigenous communities. And they, you have a group of women in white gowns that walk one mile up to a, a significant hill. And it's for each woman that's wearing these white gowns is signifying a woman that's died of domestic violence in the last 12 months. And wow. so we are presenting at that event. We are, we are also mentoring the youth in the International Women's Day uh, awards for 2019 in March. We are also travelling to Wollongong for National Day of Action Against Bullying and Violence. So we've got lots of events coming up. We just were at the Friends with Dignity Magical Christmas on Saturday night. We presented an MC at that. Where was that? That was at uh, the Southport Sharks on okay. Saturday night. Yeah. That's a domestic violence charity event. So we, we do a lot of charity events for domestic violence as well. Isn't it amazing how life goes full circle? I feel so gifted. It's, it's unbelievable. I really am so you, gifted you, and I feel I'm being channeled and uh, now I'm a children's author and I never, ever, <laughs> ever would have imagined I'm a children's author. Here's this young girl that went through all this trauma, failed school and is now an author. Isn't it amazing? It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I think I think it's amazing. And you're the winner of the 2018 International Women's Day Social Justice and Equality Ambassador. Yes. How did that make you feel? Oh, it was incredible, incredible. And why why we are mentoring the youth for 2019. Yeah. So that was a phenomenal achievement and I feel very proud of that. Uh, and I've I've made some amazing contacts and connections in the community, you know, collaborating with others because of that, which is, is you know, and, and it's enabled us to give back a lot to, to other organisations that are really giving back in a big way in the community. So I feel really blessed. And, and so this, the, these, these children's books are coming out in 2019 too. And what are they called? They're called The Adventures of Jessie and Jessie? Rocky Rockstar. Okay. So Jessie's my daughter. Yeah. And Rocky Rockstar's our dog. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so Rocky Rockstar was a rescue dog yeah. and he looks like a tiger, a Tasmanian tiger. Okay. And it's a beautiful collection of stories that are have beautiful family values and they're just short children's books with beautiful, colourful illustrations, but they have a beautiful takeaway. So a life lesson that Rocky Rockstar is teaching Jesse about life. That's amazing. Yeah. And so when are they out next year, are they? Yeah, they're going to be out in March. Yep. And we also have a DreamGuard app a Dream coming Guard out app. in February. And what's the app going to do? Save lives. That's what Without it's all a about. doubt. So this app is going to have the emergency numbers for Lifeline, Kids Helpline and Headspace on there. It's going to have beautiful breathing techniques and mindful meditations that are going to help people, kids, teenagers who may be feeling a bit anxious, depressed, maybe worried about exams and enabling them to just relax, chill out and get to connect with themselves and, you uh, you know, just find some inner peace. 
there's going to be some amazing mindful, uh, also a positive mindset, uh, affirmations. It's going to be a community collaboration. So we've got an amazing Native American flute player who's going to be doing the back, backing tracks for okay. our meditations. Yeah. And he's also going to be writing the meditation. So it's it's a beautiful collaboration of community Can't coming to together. And what's that going to be called? DreamGuard app. DreamGuard app, and it's going to be free. And when's that come out? We're hoping for February 2019. Okay. So we've had a couple of corporate sponsors come on board to help us get that app up and running. And it's well, exciting. If there's anything at all we can do to help out, please, oh, please reach out so to much. us. So I am so grateful that you are here. Oh, and I'm so you. grateful that you were born to start with and then we just learned your amazing story. And thank as you. far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. So thanks oh. so much for coming to spend some time with me. Thank you so much, Brett. I just wanted to say one last thing. Yep. I've, uh, we have this, I have this huge vision. Okay, what's your now vision? Now it's massive. Yep. It's a massive vision. People say to me, well, you're just crazy, but I am. I'm, I'm known to be crazy, crazy right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I skip around the place and I t- you know, talk about all sorts of stuff. But I have started this gratitude chain. Okay. And what's a gratitude chain? Okay. So this gratitude chain, I believe if we wake every morning with an intention about being grateful for something that we have in our lives, then it sets a beautiful intention for the day. And we all have something we can be grateful for, even if it's the breath, you know, having a roof over our head. And so I started this concept of creating a chain. And so it's a piece of colored paper and it's how I how I describe it. It's the width of a stretched out high five peace hand, going from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky, and about the width or height of a thumbs up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's a coloured piece of card. Now, on that coloured piece of card, I would like you to write something that you're grateful for in your life. Okay. And that link, that gratitude link gets stapled onto the, the gratitude chain. chain. And wow. do you remember those beautiful Christmas chains that we yeah, used yeah, to create yeah. when we were kids yep. in, in kindy? Well, it's like that. So if you okay. visualize that, and this has become a gratitude chain. Now, my concept is that this gratitude chain is going to be long enough that it goes around the circumference of Australia, which the is 21,000 kilometers, 330,000 <laughs> gratitude links. How Thanks to my daughter for doing those maths. How many have we got so far? Uh, I haven't calculated, but maybe a few hundred. So I need to get hundred, the exact so amount. Yeah, definitely. And then we'll be working toward, uh, you know, making sure that that happens. So I'm reaching out to you. I would love it if you could write your I would what love to. Of, I'd love to be a today. part of the chain. And, uh, and I'd love your to chain. get everyone involved in the chain. So what you need to do is send yep. that link to PO Box 70, Varsity Lakes, Queensland, 4227 Australia. And this gratitude chain is going on the TEDx stage with me. Woohoo! Yeah. So what was, the, what was the post office box? 70, Varsity Lakes, Queensland, and the postcode? 4227. And we want people to send the actual... What they what they grateful for on that link on, that on link? the on the cardboard on, on the, the cardboard? on the piece of uh, coloured paper, and that's going to be connected. It's going to be stapled to this gratitude chain. Are we happy if people email you their gratitude and then you put on a bit of card for them? We and could do that do, too. We can do Absolutely, that. the dreamguards at gmail.com. We could do that too. Absolutely. Let's do that. And but I love what, the idea of it coming old fashioned in handwriting in the post, post. because every one hundred. Gratitude links I receive, I'm yeah. going to be giving out a DreamGuard t-shirt. Awesome. Which I'm going to be presenting with 
to you today. Awesome. Well, I'm going to get you 100 gratitude links. That's my mission Ooh, now yeah. to pay back for my shirt. Fabulous. How's that sound? That sounds amazing. Thanks again. Thanks so much for coming in. I'd love to catch up with you in the near future to see how that's going. And uh, let's let's keep everyone up to date on how we're going with the let's gratitude do that. links. I'd love to get your amazing husband in for our third beer podcast to, uh, to have a chat to him about the depression and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. So um, once again, thanks for coming in. Thanks so much and peace out. Peace out. Thanks. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate podcasts.